whatever, whatever this one word summarizes how Americans determine what is right and what is wrong. Let me explain. Whatever. Have you ever seen those videos of people going out on the street and they're interviewing people randomly on the street? Have you seen those kind of videos on YouTube or TikTok or something, social media? And they go out and they, and they interview random people on the street and they ask them provocative questions. Okay, like this. They might say, what do you think about certain hot topics? All right, and lately they might say, what do you think about critical race theory? Right, it's on the headlines, all in the headlines. So they'll ask that question. What do you think about critical race theory? And then they'll hear the response. And we get to listen in on what some random person in New York City thinks about critical race theory. Or they might ask, what do you think about COVID vaccination? Another controversial thing in our culture. Or they might ask, what do you think about transgender athletes competing in the Olympics? And they hold the microphone out, right? And you, and you hear the answers that people give. And these answers, if you watch the videos, they tend to reveal something about the way we as Americans generally think about what's right and wrong. They tend to reveal something about what, how what we think is right and wrong. And, and what I like to say is that it reveals that we have a whatever attitude. Okay, We have, as Americans, as humans... We have a whatever attitude. What do I mean by that? Well, it means different things. Sometimes it means whatever feels good to me must be right. Whatever feels good to me must be right. That's a whatever attitude, right? What about this one? Whatever works. Right? If it works, it must be good. If it works, it must be right. Or what about this one? Whatever doesn't hurt other people is okay. Whatever doesn't affect other people, what doesn't hurt other people must be okay. Or what about this one? Whatever you believe in your heart, that's what's right. You see, we have a whatever attitude about what's right and what's wrong, and you really see it in these videos on the street. Whatever feels good, whatever works, whatever doesn't hurt other people, whatever you believe in your heart, and there's probably like a thousand other versions of that whatever statement. But if you stop and you think about it for just a moment, if you stop and think about it for just a moment, you'll realize that the whatever standard is pretty weak. You'll realize that, that, that these statements about what's right and wrong are situational, they don't apply equally to everyone, right? They're not really true because they don't apply to everyone equally. It's me and my feelings. It's me and my experience. It's me and my people. It's me and my culture. It's me, me, me. Do you see a common theme about the whatever attitude that we have? If this is how we determine right and wrong, it's like shifting sand. And, and just look at the world around you. Is this a world that's building a foundation on sand? You bet it is. You bet it is. Do you, do you get frustrated with the way things are going in the world? Yeah, I do too. Why? Because we're building our foundation, our lives on sand. Brothers and sisters, boys and girls, God has something better. 
All right? God has something solid. God has something foundational. God has something built on rock. And you know what? I like to call it a whatever attitude as well. But it's a new whatever attitude. Y'all say that with me. A new whatever attitude. It's a new whatever attitude, and we find it right here in Philippians chapter 4, verses 8 and 9. Let's look at it together. This is God's Word. Philippians chapter 4, verses 8 and 9. I think it will be on the screen behind me. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. And what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. And the God of peace will be with you. Wow. The new whatever attitude that God has for us. That's not shifting sand like whatever I feel. Whatever we think. It's solid. Okay, it's solid. And this is good news for us. This is good news for humanity. It's not whatever you think or whatever you feel or whatever works or whatever, whatever someone else is saying. It's whatever is of God. It's whatever is godly. All right, I'm going to use that term, whatever is godly. In other words, whatever is of God. And I'm going to break that down a little more as we go. This is a list of godly characteristics. Okay, this is a list of godly characteristics. And this list is not exhaustive. This is not everything that God has to say about what's right and wrong. But God does say here, whatever is true. God does say whatever is honorable. Whatever is just. Whatever is pure. Whatever is lovely. Whatever is commendable. If there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise. And over the next ten weeks... We're going to break down each of these godly characteristics into its own sermon. We're going to have a sermon where the only text for the week is going to be whatever is true. Three words, all right? And we're going to see what God has to say to us about each one of these godly characteristics. God wants you to develop a whatever attitude. A whatever attitude, a new whatever attitude. God wants us to grow in godly character. And there's two imperatives in this verse. What is an imperative? Anybody who's in high school, you know, what, remember what an imperative is? No, not in high school anymore, but do you remember what an imperative is? It's a command, right? <laughs> I'll give you that one. It's a command. It's here's what you need to do, Right? It's a declaration of what you need to do, all right? It's an imperative, and here they are right here. Did you you pick them up in the verse? The first one is, anybody got it? Think about these things. And then the second one is, in verse 9, practice these things, all right? So think about these things, practice these things. Two imperatives. Two commands that we really need to pay attention to as we're reading the scripture. This is what God's saying to us. Think about what is godly. That's my first point. I think I have a slide for it. Think about whatever is godly. Let me talk about something that is a little convicting. 
for me. Screen time. On the iPhone, there's an app that tells you how much screen time you're spending. And uh, like a week ago, I noticed that my screen time was trending up, that I was spending just so much time on my screen. We are extremely distracted, right? We are extremely distracted in our lives by our phones. I mean, you're holding it right now and you're looking at the scripture, but maybe a notification pops up and it says, hey, check this out. You just got a new email. You just got a new text. You just got a new social media like, right? It's like it just draws us in. And we're so distracted by it. Thinking is not easy. God says, think about these things. God says, think about whatever is godly, but thinking itself is not easy. Because we live in a world full of distractions. We live in a world full of the man telling you what you ought to think. Constantly. Think about this. Think about this. Think about this. Think about this. And what do we end up doing? We end up not thinking about anything. We need to clear out space in our lives to stop and think. Okay? As, as, as 21st century Americans, we need to clear out some space in our lives to stop and think. And we have to be intentional about it, okay? You have to actually set aside time or it's not going to happen. You have to turn off the phone. I'm speaking to myself. You have to turn off the phone, set it aside, and intentionally spend some time thinking about whatever is godly. If you're not intentional about what you think, then your circumstances will do it for you. What your mind is being filled with on a day-to-day basis is going to be determined for you unless you, who are the boss of you, decide, here's what I'm going to think about. I'm going to spend some time in God's Word. I'm going to spend some time with a Christian friend who tells me the truth. I'm going to spend some time coming to worship and hearing God speak to me through the songs and through the liturgy and through the preaching of His Word and through the Lord's Supper. I'm going to devote some time to think about whatever is godly. You know, I recognized that I was getting distracted and that I was spending too much screen time because I I was starting to feel anxious. I was starting to, to feel anxious all the time. From the moment I woke up until the moment I went to sleep, I was feeling anxious. And I was like, why am I feeling so anxious? I asked my wife, why am I feeling so anxious? Why am I, is, I mean, are things terrible? Like, am I worried? Why am I so worried about everything? And I realized it's because I'm filling my mind with all of these distracting, worthless things. Videos that are funny. They are funny. But what am I filling my mind with? It's not even bad stuff, right? It's just, it's not necessarily whatever is godly. It's not filling my mind with his, with his values, his characteristics. You know, it's interesting, the context of this scripture where God encourages us to think about these things, is actually, it actually has to do with being anxious. Look with me back at verse 6. This is just two verses before, all right? And it says, do not be what? Come on now. I'm like, God speaks right to me sometimes. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, that means asking, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. 
and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, it gets above all the noise, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Man, it was right there. It just, in the two verses before, do not be anxious about anything. How do we do that? Well, ultimately, we should think about whatever is godly. And you know, it's not just thinking about these random principles. It's actually more than that. It's thinking about God himself. All of these qualities that we've, talked, that, we, that we've looked at here, all of these qualities, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, excellent, worthy of praise, these are qualities of God himself. They're not just good ideas. They are actual descriptions of who God is. God is just. God is pure. God is lovely. God is excellent. God is worthy of praise. God is true. You see that? And so this is not just a religious exercise. This is a relational exercise. That when we think about whatever is godly, we're actually thinking about God. We're actually carving out time in our day to think about God himself. And so we should spend time thinking about God's actions, his character, And we do that by looking in the Word, right? We look in His Word, which is the the unchanging, infallible, without error description of God. And we look for this in our experience. What has God done in your life? And And we look at what God has done, who He is, as we've seen it in our lives. And we look for it in the lives of other people. That's why I said getting together with a friend, we're going to talk more about that later, but getting together with a friend who loves Jesus is a great way to think about whatever is godly. And we do this, it gets to the core of who we are as people. It gets to the core of our identity. Why? Because ultimately we are created to to look at God. We're actually created to walk with Him. Oh, how He walks with me, right? We're created for that. We're worshipers. We're created to be with God. And so when we actually... Shut out the noise for a few minutes and spend some time with him thinking about whatever is godly. We're doing what we were created to do. We're doing what we were made to do when we devote ourselves to the things that God values. It changes who we are on the inside. Because we're meeting with God. We're actually meeting with him by his spirit. Especially when we're reading scripture in a special way. God speaks to us about who he is in the word, by his spirit. But you know there are other gods out there that would love to have your worship. And, and, and we mentioned, Esther mentioned some of them earlier. See what God was doing? God was already saying, look, look out. Because the other gods of sex and money and power, etc., would love to have you devote yourself to them. They would love to have you think about those things. Right? There's always a God vying for your attention. Always. Always a God, a false God, vying for your attention. But, friends, there is only one true God. There is only one true God. Yahweh, the Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God who revealed himself in the person of Jesus Christ most fully. And it's in him 
alone, who made us and loves us and, 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 and keeps our lives together. The one who has a plan for you that goes beyond this world. He's the one that deserves our worship, our time, our attention, our thinking. The first step toward growing in godly character is to think about whatever is godly. To think about God himself. So clear your schedule each and every day in order to meditate on his magnificence. To meditate on who he is, his excellence, his justice, his truth. But just thinking about God, just having a time, a quiet time away is not enough. This scripture doesn't stop there, does it? No, this scripture continues in verse 9. Look at that with me. It says, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. That's the second command. Practice whatever is godly. Don't just think about it. Don't just fill your minds with it, but practice it. Now, that's a funny word, isn't it? Practice. I always thought it was funny that we called it a doctor's practice. Do you ever wonder, like, you know, when is he going to get good at this? You know, and like, when is he going to actually stop practicing and actually go to the game? You know, like, I want to come to the doctor when he's done practicing. <laughs> Have you ever thought that before? Please tell me I'm not the only one that's thought. Okay, thank you for those of you willing to admit your ignorance. All right, so listen, that's not what it means, okay? I looked it up, the word practice. Sometimes you got to look it up. All right? Sometimes you got to look it up. Here's what the word practice means. The second definition is what we typically think of, repeated exercise in a performance to acquire proficiency. That's usually what we think of it. But that's the second definition. The first definition is this. Get this. Practice is the actual application of an idea, belief, or method as opposed to theories about such application or use. Practice means that you're not just thinking about it, but you're doing it. Practice means you don't just think about God's justice, but you practice it, you do it. You don't just think about the truth, but you practice the truth in your day-to-day -day life. That's what doctors are doing. They're not practicing, they're practicing. <laughs> okay? They went to medical school to gain knowledge, right? And now they are putting it into action. That's what it means. That's why they call it a doctor's practice. Some doctors need more practice than others, but I'm going to leave that right there. This is how we practice godliness. We spend time learning about it. We spend time meditating about it, thinking about whatever is godly, and then we put it into practice. See, this is why so many people accuse Christians of being hypocrites, and, and frankly, why there are so many hypocrites in the church. Because we spend most of our time thinking about God, thinking about what's good, or even worshiping God, but we don't put it into practice. Jesus said, they will know you are my disciples by what you believe and what you've written in your statement of faith. Is that what he said? No, he said, by your love for one another. Practice. By your practice. See, we can have all the right beliefs. 
Right? We can have our good theologies, but if we don't put it into practice, what good is it? God invites us to not just think about it, but to practice all of these things. If you want to grow in godliness, God gives us in the Scripture, and it's a little bit hidden, so we're going to have to pull it out. But he gives us a very practical thing that you can do. All right, here it is. Let's look at it. A very practical thing is in verse 9. He says, this is the Apostle Paul writing to the Christians in the church, right? He says, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. Did you catch it? What's the practical application? Paul says, look at my life. Paul says, look at what I've done. Paul says, whatever I've taught you, whatever you've learned and received from who? From me. See, the best way to practice whatever is godly is by getting close to somebody who's already doing it. It's by getting close to somebody who's already doing it. And y'all, the church is full of people who are who are, are have been a Christian for a long time. They're, they've grown in their faith, and, and, and they need to impart their wisdom and their life to those who are younger. Not just in age. Sometimes it's not age. Sometimes it's just spiritual life, where you are. And so those of you that are more mature, you need to be looking for people to say, hey, I want you to come and follow me as I follow Jesus. And for those of you who are younger in the faith and, and, and need to grow in practicing the things of God, find someone older who's more mature in the faith and say, hey, I'd like to follow you for a while. I'd like to see how you follow Jesus. Then emulate them. I had an example of this uh, that I just wanted to share with you, and it's, it's Chelsea. I asked her for, for permission if, if I could share this. But Chelsea has been growing in her relationship with Jesus. Ever since I've known her, she's been growing in her relationship with Jesus. Amen. I see people nodding their heads. Amen. She ain't who she used to be. Amen. <laughs> she's always been a lot of fun. But this lady is growing in her faith. All right? And Chelsea, of her own initiative, approached one of the ladies in the church, the other ladies in the church, and said, can I uh, read scripture with you? Can you disciple me? That's how I think how you phrased it. Can you disciple me? And so Wendy and Chelsea have been meeting together, reading scripture together, cooking together. Yeah, doing stuff together. Look, that's, what we, that's the way to apply this. Okay, you're, doing, you're doing it. That's great. Thank you for the example. <laughs> and we should all be finding someone like Paul. And they don't have to be like a super missionary. They don't have to be the pastor. There's a lot of mature Christians out here, right? Find someone and say, hey, would you disciple me? I want to learn how to practice whatever is godly. How do we grow in Christian character? We think about whatever is godly, and we practice whatever is godly. Let me ask you something. How does that make you feel? Think about whatever is godly. Practice whatever is godly. How does that make you feel? For me, I would say sometimes it makes me feel a little overwhelmed. Like, okay, <laughs> I'm already trying, you know, like I'm supposed to do more. 
I'm already trying to do what I'm supposed to do. I'm, I'm showing up. I mean, I'm here, right? I feel a little overwhelmed by that, especially those of you who have children. To think about adding something else to your schedule, carving out time to read the Bible, like it all seems overwhelming. Sorry, I couldn't hear. It says, I, I haven't, you might be thinking, I haven't even started, and I already feel like a failure. I haven't even started trying to carve out time, and, and, I, and I already feel like a failure. You might, even, you might even despair a little bit. You might even think, I'm not even sure it's possible. I mean, I've tried it before, right, and I, and I fell flat on my face. I'm not even sure it's possible. Look, I get it. God gets it. These responses are completely normal and natural. They are completely understandable. But did you notice how Paul ends verse 9? Look at it again. He says, all these things, think about these things, practice these things. In the very end, he says, and the peace of God will be with you. And the peace of God will be with you. If you're trying to follow Jesus, if you're pursuing him as a disciple, if you're trying to think about things that are godly, if you're trying to put them into practice and you don't feel at peace with God, if it feels like a burden to you, then I've got some hopefully good news for you today. That it could be that if, that if these things don't give you a sense of deep contentment and peace, then you're, you might be missing something. You, you might be missing something because, y'all, this is not religion. This is not about 10 steps to a, to a more successful life as a Christian. That is not what we're teaching here. That's not what God's saying. Because that leads to disappointment, despair, defeat. And I've been there. And so have you. I know you have. I know you have. Maybe we're missing something. There's a clue. There's a clue right at the very beginning of verse 8. Let's look at that again. It's something we skipped over. We didn't even pay attention to it. But I think it's really important. It's the first word. And it says, finally. Finally. You see, we're in chapter 4 of Philippians. This, this is the last thing Paul wants to say to the church at Philippi in this letter. It's the last thing he wants to say. Think about whatever is godly. Practice whatever is godly. Find someone to help you do that, right? That's the last thing he wants to say. And so we need to ask, okay, well, what was the first thing he said? What was the first thing he said? What's behind it? What's before the finally? What has God already communicated in Scripture that might help us to actually experience the peace of God instead of guilt and shame because of more and more of our failure to do it right? What has God told us already in the Scripture and even right here in Philippians that would actually bring us the peace of God. Let's look all the way back to verse 1. Chapter 1, verse 1. He starts with it, y'all. He tells who's writing, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. Who's it to? To all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, he starts with this message to all the saints in Christ Jesus. To all the saints, grace and peace to you from God. 
You see, the first thing Paul says in his letter is that we get grace from God. We get free money from God. (laughs) We get his eternal favor from God. Not because we were so good. Not because we showed up for church. Not because we did everything we were supposed to do. No, we were dead in our sin when God gave us his grace. We were running from God when he reached out and grabbed us and pulled us into his chest. That's what the grace of God is, and that's the first thing that he talks about is the grace of God. And he says that it's for those who are in Christ Jesus, and that means, that's shorthand, for those who have faith in Christ Jesus. For those who have put their trust, like you have set your life on him. You have put your weight on him. You're trusting in him. That's what it means to be in Christ Jesus. We're born into this world as enemies of God. We inherit the guilt and the shame of our first parents, Adam and Eve, and we add to it every day our own guilt and shame because of our sin. We desire our own way. We do whatever we want. And you know what? Every bit of religious practice, every bit of self-help, every bit of mindfulness, Every bit of meditation and doing good, none of it has the power to heal the human heart. None of it. Those are good things. Those are great things. Thinking about godly characteristics is a great thing. Putting it into practice is a great thing. But that has no power to bring true transformation. It doesn't. You know what does? Faith in Jesus Christ. is the only thing that has the power to change a heart like mine, to turn it into a heart after God. If you try to do what Philippians 4, 8, and 9 says in your own effort, it will end in shame and defeat and guilt and despair. Religion, that's where it leads. But, brothers and sisters, God has made a way for us to experience his peace through all of these things. How? He did it by sending the eternal Son of God. He did it by sending the eternal Son of God who humbled himself, gave up the the riches and the glories of heaven to be made in the likeness of human beings. To take on our frailty, to take on our temptations, to take on our shame even, And this God-man Jesus lived an extraordinary life in the flesh. He was tempted in every way as we are, yet he never sinned. His own mother was the chief witness to his life. And if your mama says you didn't sin, she ought to know, right? Mary was one of the key witnesses to the perfect life of Jesus. That's why we have a New Testament, y'all. Right? It's, 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 it's the testimony of those eyewitnesses to his majesty. And who was Jesus? What did he do? Well, he always practiced whatever is true. Yeah? And, and you know what? Jesus, he also practiced whatever is honorable. And you know what? Jesus, in his human life, he always did whatever is just. And you know, Jesus, in his life, he always did whatever is pure. He always did whatever is lovely and whatever is commendable and whatever is excellent and whatever is worthy of praise. Jesus did it. 
We're called Christians for a reason, y'all, because we're in Christ. We have our faith in Him. We don't follow His example only, but we put our faith in Him. We trust in Him. And the good news is that when you do that, when you trust in Him, when you put your faith in Jesus, your entire history, your entire history of past failures, your entire history of, of trying to do it on your own, of picking yourself up by your own bootstrap, your entire history of falling flat on your face, God says it is forgiven. Because God takes this perfect whatever is godly record that Jesus did and he gives it to you. He gives it to you by faith. And so on the cross, what happened is a great exchange. A great substitution happened on the cross. And what that means is that Jesus took the curse of death and hell that we deserve because of who we are and who we know we are. And he gave us the blessing of his godly life. And they exchange. And brothers and sisters, boys and girls, when you believe in him, when you put your trust in Jesus, you get the credit that Jesus lived. You get credit for his life. And so when God looks at you right now and forever, he will say, well done, my good and faithful servant. And so yet, you know what that does? That empowers us to think about whatever is godly. Because I'm already right with God. And so I can devote myself to the, 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 the way that, that, that is right and godly. Not because I'm trying to earn something from God, but because I'm so thankful for what God has done for me. And I'm set free to actually practice these things. To do them perfectly. No. <laughs> no. Only one person did them perfectly. Jesus. But we get to practice. We get to put our beliefs into action. And y'all, that's an amazing thing. That's, what, that's my prayer for us as a church. That we, Like I said in the, in the prayer earlier, we would not just be showing up for church but that we would be disciples of Jesus. In Him, by faith, trusting in Him, walking with Him together. For all who believe in Jesus, you will experience the true peace of God when you devote yourself to think about these things, when you devote yourself to practice these things. The God of peace will be with you. And that's what God has to say to us today. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the, the rich truth and the ways that you met me in the scripture to this week. The ways that you convicted me of my own need and my own sin and my own distractions. And you redirected me not to discipline, not to good deeds, but toward a Savior who did it right. And who now gives me the opportunity to, to walk it out in my life. Lord, I thank you for that. And I, and I thank you that you're doing that work in people right now. That you're moving our hearts to trust in Jesus more and more. Maybe for the first time, maybe some people are out here and they've just been trying and trying and trying to turn over a new leaf and it just hasn't worked. Lord, I pray that you would give them faith today. Faith to receive that great exchange. Faith to receive the godly, whatever life of Jesus. To receive it and to walk in it.
that the peace of God, Lord, might fill each and every life. Lord, may we be a, a place of peace in this world that is, in this community that is racked by gun violence, in this community that is racked by families falling apart, in this community that is racked by all kinds of illicit drugs and sexuality and things that would pull people and constantly pulling people away to the gods of this world. Lord, make us a people of peace that we might call people to follow the only one who can give true life and contentment, the only one who can give true purpose and meaning, the only one that can help us to fulfill our identity as worshipers. Lord, do that work in us. In Jesus' name we ask, amen. Let's stand together as the musicians come up and let's respond to God's word by singing this song.